being widely reported that Bloomberg analysts have raised their expectation that a Bitcoin ETF gets approved this year from 50% to 65%. That was about 1% earlier this year. And since we have analysts raising those expectations, of course, we just brought the analysts here to talk to you about it. I've got James Safer from Bloomberg. And then, of course, on the back half, Dan from The Chart Guys to talk about what we're looking at in the market. There's going to be another amazing stream. I will not be uh, debating hexagons today. Maybe next week again. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. It's been a crazy week. We've all obviously reviewed the news over and over again. We've got DeFi under major stress with the founder of Curve having to sell off OTC, his coins, to cover his loan that he took because he wanted to buy not one, but two mansions. Richard Hart getting attacked by the SEC, me having multiple conversations with hexagons. We had two of them on yesterday. I thought it was a respectful, very interesting conversation. Um, I thought they were great, but honestly, I don't think they really answered my questions. I listened to it again, and I, I feel like uh, it was a lot of sort of deflection and whataboutism. This is not a criticism. This is what we all do. But every time I asked a question about why Hex was different, they kind of told me why all the other things were the same. So it was fine. Uh, so I'd actually like to continue that conversation conversation because I think there might be more there. But moving on to today, someone's literally this guy. Is it just me hearing the echo? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Anyone else hearing an echo? 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 No. All right. Anyways, seems seems kind of fine. But today we've got a lot of news as well. Obviously, Michael Saylor looking at buying potentially another $750 million worth of Bitcoin and selling shares in MicroStrategy to do this. Elizabeth Warren is tripping once again because that's what she does. She thinks we're all evading taxes and she wants more money from us because it's our money that the government needs because they can just print money. I don't understand it. But anyways, we're going to go ahead and talk ETFs right now. Let's go. I've got James Safer. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? What's going on, Scott? Uh, not much. I'm actually, I'm just reading the comments right now, and I'm laughing. This guy, yeah, my room has some reverb. Can't help that, but this dude just called it a hexagon standoff. The conversation, <laughs> I guess, that's just funny. That's that is funny. pretty good. Yeah. 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 Maybe I have too much reverb. People are very upset about my sound. Do I sound good to you, James? You sound fine to me. I mean, we, we before we came on here, I was trying to get my mic to work and I couldn't get it to work. So I just gave up and I'm just using my headphones mic like a like a loser. But oh, dude, you're, you're gaming right now. He's playing yeah. Halo or whatever. Call to do. I said Halo. Yeah. I was like Golden Eye. I'll show my age. But, you know, hey, Halo was my game. That was that was my I haven't played video games in a really long time. But Halo was me my either. Game. But man, did I play the shit out of Halo. <laughs> let's let's talk about things actually people might care about here. We've got Bitcoin ETF approval odds just got better. Bloomberg analyst, that's you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is me. Um, I mean, I, I'll just dive in here, right? So we've been covering this. When we came out 50%, we got a lot of people like, oh, yeah, it's a coin toss. It can or won't happen. Um, but really, like, if you look at anyone else, like, no one else was say, upping the odds as high as we were. 
Um, and I think as far as we're concerned, let me take that back. Nobody on the TradFi world was upping their odds as high as we were. Uh, the crypto world, there was plenty of people saying 100% chance that this was going to happen. But That's uh, what we do. Yeah, yeah. So hyperbole uh, we are. Yeah, we, we take in new information and we increase our odds accordingly. Um, I don't know if I said it when I was on with you last, but I was probably leading like on the, I was like 51%. Like if we had to pick one, I was like 51% that this was going to happen this year because too many things were happening. Larry Fink's involved, BlackRock's involved, this Coinbase SSA. But there's been a few other things recently that have just both non-public that I can't really say, just stuff we're hearing from different issuers, filers, people um, on what's going on. And a lot of it is just public. Like one of the key things the Financial Times article with the Brian Armstrong information where he basically said that the SEC went to him and said, you need to delist everything except for Bitcoin is like, in my mind, the first, like, obviously the first thing I think about right now is ETFs. In my mind, it's like the one thing everyone's been like, well, the SEC suing Coinbase. Why would they allow an exchange that trades Bitcoin to be the, the, uh, the one that partners in the surveillance sharing agreement? And the answer really is, they don't have a problem with Coinbase and Bitcoin. They don't have a problem with the Coinbase and Bitcoin trading. So that argument just goes out the window as far as I'm concerned, or maybe not fully, but it's it's 80% in the rearview mirror as far as I'm concerned, based on the based on the reporting for the financial financial times there. I'm not sure if you saw this, but that came out. Well, we don't know. Financial Times reported it, but then both Coinbase and the SEC refuted it. So uh, we don't know if that is actually factual or not, but either way, we do know for a fact that the SEC views all of their assets as unregistered securities because it said so yeah. in, the, in the case. And so it's irrelevant whether that was reported correctly or not. In a perfect world, the SEC wants all unregistered securities delisted. So we do know that that's the case. But how do you come to like a number like 65%? Do you have a model? Is it based on some sort of black magic, Yoda? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was joking with people on Twitter the day. I was like, yeah, I just stick my finger. I lick my finger and I stick it up when I go outside and then we just throw a number out there. But really, it's it's all qualitative. So we have a team of people. We have litigation analysts. I have people that I talk to. Um, it's really Eric and I that at the end of the day that have to agree on a number that we're willing to publish and put our names behind. Um, and it really is like if you had to bet and these were the odds, would you take the bet? Like try to figure out that middle ground, right? Like almost like a bookie, like trying to put the odds here on where most people are um, and where we are really. Uh, Cause I think most people don't believe it's as likely as we do. Um, so that that's, that's basically the process. We've tried to make it more automated. We tried to like, look at like, well, if this happens, then this is going to happen. And what are the odds of those different things happening? And like, you just, you could go, you go down like a rabbit hole that's never ending if you try to do it that way. So um, well, right, because one like wrong it. word, one wrong word from some regulator or pundit changes everything. I mean, like I said at the beginning, this was one percent until we had BlackRock come in and it went from one to fifty. Yeah, to be honest, I was I, I was honestly higher than one percent because I thought there was always a chance that somebody would come in and do something, or um, that Congress would come in and figure things out. But really, realistically, uh, we were basically it was a near zero percent chance that anything was going to happen this year, as far as we concerned, we were concerned. I mean, 65% chance by this year is really meaningful at this point. It's, it's August. I mean, we're talking about the next couple of months. What are the chances that, I mean, I'm not even putting a percentage, but can you give us an idea of the dates that these things are likely to happen? Because we've heard August, you know, in two weeks, basically, was the first one that they were going to have to address. And we've heard dates November, December, and then even as far as March for getting any sort of clarity. Yeah. So I've tweeted out this chart of like, if you look at these filings, they have, there's four, four, 
there's four dates where the SEC has to basically respond by. Uh, so the ARC 21 shares only has three dates left. So it's that's the one you're talking about. It's uh, August 13th. Uh, but the SEC, as far as we're concerned, they're going to delay there. They're not going to make a decision on that date. Um, the real date to watch, like the next big important date, as far as I'm concerned on this front, is going to be uh, when the grayscale opinion drops. So theoretically, it could come Friday at the most recent. Or if you look at one of the other things that we were got more confident in taking a sidetrack here is uh, the SEC just lost a lawsuit in the same court with two of the same judges that Grayscale is suing them for. Um, Gray, Grayscale is suing them in. So the same two judges that were on that panel that said the SEC loses and gave victory to CBOE, basically under the similar circumstances, they acted arbitrarily and capriciously. They didn't do things properly. Like they basically vacated the SEC's decision, which is likely what we think is going to happen to Grayscale. So that gave us more confidence there. But if you look at the timeline there, that was argued in late October of 2022, and we didn't get the decision until last week. So if that follows the same timeline, we're not going to get a decision to gray, on Grayscale until December, which I've talked to our litigation analyst, Elliot Stein. Um, he says that's still pretty unlikely. It's we're, we should get it in the next month or two. That's a very long time frame. But just to give you an idea of like, it could come Friday, it could come December in the real grand scheme of things, right? So we don't know, but we think it's going to come before the, the end of September. But once that decision comes down, if, as we expect, Grayscale wins, the SEC is going to have to do something, right? So theoretically, they have 45 days to uh, appeal for what's called an en banc hearing, but which basically means like there's all these judges on the D.C. Circuit of Appeals. Every court case gets three judges. The SEC can appeal to say we want all the judges so that the panel gets way bigger and things like they basically all look at the facts and merits of the case and go at it again. I don't think the SEC is going to do that, um, so we'll see. But basically the time, the date to watch is like we don't have an exact date, but it's right. like once that filing drops, wait 45-ish days, and then we should at least have something. I mean there's nothing saying the filing could drop and then the SEC does something a week later, but really yeah. they're – Based on the way they've been working, it's probably they're going to take the forty-five days. Yeah, take every minute they have. You mentioned Grayscale. I wasn't even planning to talk about this, but this news just dropped four or five days ago. Grayscale claims Coinbase won't work as a Bitcoin ETF surveillance partner. So, dude, sour grapes. I don't know from Grayscale. <laughs> I think we all understand that Grayscale is positioning that they want this to be an ETF, but probably want it to remain a trust for as long as possible because yeah, so that's that sweet, sweet fees they're collecting and their business basically collapses. So is this them basically trying to like punt it to make sure that there nobody else gets an ETF approved and destroy, destroys the uh, GBTC trust? Yes. So I think people got this wrong. So I mentioned a few things uh, why we got a little more bullish to that 65%. And this letter was one of them. And I think the media got it wrong. If you read the letter, that's really not exactly what they're saying. They're the saying- The media lied? Crazy. <laughs> I don't think, it, it, some of it's true, right? But yeah. it, the, the real, the crux of the letter was basically like, look, you don't need the surveillance sharing agreement. Like you approve Bitcoin futures. There's all these other things. We have the CME uh, surveillance oh, sharing. We have I all these that. other things. It's not necessary for an ETF to be approved. And they were kind of positioning like, if this is what gets us over the line, just give us a few days and we'll get it sorted out on our end too. And then they basic, they literally asked for simultaneous approval in that letter to the SEC. So in my note that came out where we went to the 65%, I kind of said the path of least resistance in this case is like the SEC just approving them all at once, right? So they yeah, lose the grayscale case have and just be it. like, fine, forget it. All, Enjoy. all nine of you launch an ETF and compete with each other. 
Um, and if you're competing with BlackRock on that front, it's not something I would want to do if I was a firm. But obviously, um, uh, Matt Hogan, who's one of the um, Bitwise. Uh, high, high ups at Bit, yeah. Bitwise, I love this quote from him is it's ETFs are a winner take most. And that's really the case. It's usually an ETF that takes most of the money for whatever reason, whether it's the cheapest or most liquid or what have you. But then most it can get spread around a little bit more. And if we're talking billions, there's plenty of firms that can do just fine if they get a couple million, a couple hundred million dollars in assets. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's multiple ETFs for countless things. So that's obviously been proven. That is a great quote. But it's not just Bitcoin anymore, right? The race for yeah. Ether Futures ETFs kicks off with six firms filing SEC applications. Are these guys like in a WhatsApp or a Telegram chat and they're all like, you're going to launch, bro? Like, let's do this. Six at once, basically, yeah. within a couple of days. So this is also why we've kind of, this is another reason why we've sort of upped our odds on to, to 65%, uh, which we haven't really fully discussed publicly. But uh, Volatility Shares, they filed for an Ethereum Futures ETF on Friday. And I saw that and I was like, What? Because in May, we had four filers try to launch these and the SEC swatted them away within a Fast. week or two weeks. Like they were just like, no shot. This is not happening. Um, so something, so either, vol so the, the other part of this is Volatility Shares is the firm that got the two times Bitcoin futures ETF. Um, so we don't know. So typically the way this works, so the way these spot Bitcoin ETF applications work, they go through this 19 before process. It's a formal process where they have specific deadlines the firm submits something, in this case, the exchanges, the SEC comes back and gives them an answer and so forth, right? The 1940 Act ETF, so they have this new rule, it's called the ETF rule, also referred to as 6C11 if you wanna get real nerdy, but essentially it basically made it made it way smoother for these issuers at the 40 Act products to launch, which means they have a little more regulation behind them is what it comes down to. But the way it normally works is it's kind of just a, a back channeling conversation between the SEC and these firms. And the SEC is just like, guys, withdraw this. Like we're not, not happening. Like just don't which even is, bother. Which is funny because if a Bitcoin futures ETF is approved and that is based largely on the CME, well, we have Ethereum futures on the CME and by the same rationale, ETH futures ETF should be approved. Yeah, exactly. That's 100% accurate as far as I'm concerned, right? But the SEC kind of has sway. Most people don't want to sue their regulator like Grayscale. I mean, I know a lot of people like to downplay get, uh, Grayscale suing the SEC. But honestly, I'm not sure. My Our odds of 65%, I don't think we'd be over 50 if, if Grayscale wasn't hadn't sued the SEC and they weren't going to win. Uh, or we didn't think they were going to win, I should say. we No one knows what's going to happen, but like we're pretty confident that that's going to happen. Um, so the, the the combination of that, the BlackRock pressure, um, some pressure from lawmakers in Congress, all of that is giving us this this inkling that something's going to happen. But going back to the Ethereum future stuff, so volatility shares files on Friday. Our view is that when they launch the Bitcoin two the two X futures ETF, like we're wondering if maybe they play chicken with the SEC because technically, usually it's just like the SEC says you have to withdraw this and you do it. But you could basically go like down the same route that Grayscale sort of went. Or maybe force the SEC to publicly publicly issued like I don't know the technical wording of what it would be, but it'd be like a cease and desist, like you can't do this in official in an official manner. Not just like, hey guys, can you withdraw this so we don't have to go through like filing those official documents? So one of the things we're guessing is that might have happened with volatility shares, and maybe because they filed the Ethereum futures ETF, they were threatened pushing the same thing. But what it really looks like is there's some sort of pivot at the SEC here, because what happened, we don't know exactly when, but we know from multiple issuers and multiple sources, Wall Street Journal, BlockWorks, Ben Strack over at BlockWorks got this out first. We were hearing similar things. The SEC basically came out and said, uh, 
yeah, we're willing to review these things again, which sounds like, okay, we'll review it, but we're still going to deny them potentially. Yeah, like, them. A, but, but really when they say that type of stuff, that it, it's generally a good sign. So when we, uh, one of the ways that we got popular on crypto Twitter, Balchunas and I was in uh, September of August and September of 2021, we were saying these Bitcoin futures ETFs are going to launch and everyone uh, and their mother was telling us these things are no not going to launch. Yeah, but, and they did. But, but the language that Gary Gensler used was very soft. He was like, he said, we look forward to applications of Bitcoin futures ETFs under the 1940 Act. We look forward. That was it. That was all it was said. And that's what gave us the confidence to say, we think these are going to launch. And ultimately, by September, we had upped our odds to 75%. Um, and then going into October, we were way higher than 75, but we never really published anything saying it. But um, so it's those types of words that you hear from the SEC. Now, the caveat here is we haven't heard those exact words from Gary Gensler and the SEC, right? We're just, we're hearing from other issuers saying they told us we could reapply. We're hearing from the Wall Street Journal and Blockword saying that they were told to reapply. And that is a very good sign. And honestly, if you had asked me three weeks ago, I said this on multiple podcasts, people are like, what about Ethereum? I'm like, the SEC, it may just said absolutely no shot. So obviously something has changed. Yeah. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about with the you're increasing the odds from 50 to 65 percent was that Gary Gensler, for the first time, was sort of dismissive and deflected the comments when asked. He was like, guys, there's a committee. There's other commissioners. I don't necessarily make these decisions like this is going to get approved, but I'm going to go. It wasn't on me, man. Yeah. So we I I, that, I was the, I said that immediately when I was watching this interview on um it was Bloomberg TV, ironically. So the two the two women interviewing him are um, my colleagues and people I talk to somewhat frequently. Um, so when they asked him questions, the first question was about Ripple. And he just basically said, well, we, we haven't decided. I am, as you said, I'm one of five commissioners. And I was like, whoa. Like, usually when you hear Gary, he's like, we don't believe this. We're not doing this. The SEC, the commission, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, okay, he's like off. He's trying to offload the the blame for that slight lip. I mean, to be honest, the SEC didn't completely lose that Ripple case. Crypto Twitter went real positive. Crypto Twitter in it's crypto in general. It's, it's crypto Twitter that won, James, and that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, crypto in general won. Honestly, Coinbase Coinbase ended up better off than anyone after that kind of I decision. But totally agree. Um, but then so then Danny Berger, our my colleague in London asked him and Kaylee, they went to and they asked like, oh, like, what about let's talk about spot Bitcoin ETFs. You have all these applications in front of you. And he got, and he literally said the same exact thing again. Well, I'm one of five commissioners. I was I was I was watching this and I'm like, what is going on? And when I has he ever admitted there's four other commissioners and that they have any input. I mean, Hester Peirce has been like yelling from the back of the room. For years. <laughs> I literally I literally went back and rewatched it like three times. And like I use that I use those quotes in my um, my uh, my speech. But he said uh, here, let me see if I can actually find it. Uh, he's going to find it. I feel yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. going to find it. I'm in suspense. I'm ready. Uh, oh yeah, here, here, here he goes. This, these are the two quotes. He goes, so on the Ripple one, he said, "Great question." But the commission, I'm, I'm one of five commissioners, and the commission has not acted on that. And if the stacks make a recommendation, we'll have a discussion on it, and we'll take it up then. 
I mean, let's talk about the, the Ripple decision was a while ago. Like, if the staff hasn't figured out and the commission wow. hasn't figured out what to do, like, I think there's probably my, my like tinfoil hat theory is there's a little bit pushback from the other commissioners. Maybe a Democratic commissioner is like, guys, we got to like figure this do out something. a little bit better. Than- yeah, yeah, because you have two Republican Bitcoin ETF, and then we don't have to address these crypto lunatics for like another six months or a year. Yeah, you have Hester, Purse, and Ueda who are publicly dissenting, very publicly and very aggressively dissenting. So all it takes is one or one of the other just, uh, Democratic commissioners, not necessarily to say like, Gary, you can't do this, to be like, all right, we got to, well, let's figure a little something else out. We can't just, this path isn't working. So uh, that's my tinfoil hat theory, but we'll see. Um, and and then the uh, the next quote was, so they asked about the filings and he said, those filings do ultimately come up to a five-member commission, and so I can't prejudge any filing. So yeah. one, he goes back to that, and then he also started using that prejudge word and language after um, Jake and I forget whatever policy institute they worked for, but they submitted basically saying Gary has prejudged all these decisions, he should recuse himself. And he, 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 he said prejudge multiple times too, which is unique, which I didn't write about because that's not my, my space to write about I really, but that's also, uh, that's also interesting to watch. Gary's on the ropes, guys. And finally, before I let you go really quick, because it wasn't enough to talk about Bitcoin ETFs and ETH ETFs, we have TradFi giant Direxion, which, by the way, I think was the bad guy's name in Halo, joins crypto ETF race by filing for combined Bitcoin and ETH futures fund. Yeah, so so there's nine total filings that have come out. So one came out on Friday. That was the volatility shares. And then there's a gap. Nothing came out really on Monday. And they all came out on Tuesday. Um, so something I'm guessing the SEC said something on that Monday after the filing, but there was a couple other, the two others that came out Wednesday. So that's what you're talking about. So direction and pro shares both filed for those. The interesting part here is like, usually it's a clock and the clock for volatility shares ends on October 11th. And the clock for the other ones, the Ethereum futures ETFs that were all filed on Tuesday is October 15th, but October 15th is a Sunday. So it gets bumped to the 16th theoretically when they would go live. And then also these pro these the pro shares and direction Bitcoin F- Ethereum futures dual filings also have that October 16th date. So we could have theoretically one the SEC could delay and have all these go at lunch or once or they'll let volatility shares go first on October 11th if they approve these. But we could get literally nine of these. There's there's a world where we get nine Ethereum futures ETS. Two of those have Bitcoin in them as well, and like eight or nine spot Bitcoin ETS launching within a couple of weeks of each other, um, which again, if you had asked me two weeks ago, I would have put those odds at near 0%. Um, but mm-hmm. something seems to have like changed in the way the SEC is viewing this. And honestly, my view and one of my arguments why that I've been making for this is like specifically for Bitcoin, it's the one thing that Gary and the SEC doesn't say is the security. Like they're going after all these other alt tokens, rightfully so in some cases like the hex coins, but we don't need to go down that route. Um, but we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so, but like, it's Bitcoin is the one thing they're not worried about. It's the one thing they say is a commodity. It's the one thing they say isn't a security. And then you also have things like Ethereum where they won't comment on it, but it's obviously not in the same group as the altcoins. So, what I'm guessing might be happening is the SEC is kind of going like, what? There's no reason, like, if we can't even win the Ripple case outright, like, what are our odds of an Ethereum type case? So, we might as well just like kind of like these put this other these other two things Bitcoin and Ethereum in a separate area. Mainly, I view Bitcoin as a tier all its own. Then Ethereum, you could argue maybe some other stuff like Litecoin and some Bitcoin Cash, which I, obviously I'm not a 
true believer in or might be in that same sort of bucket. But a lot of these other newer altcoins, um, the SEC can just ignore. So yeah, I have I have Bitcoin on one tier, Ethereum in another tier, and then there's a huge gap to everything else that the SEC is worried about. So, um, but if for a while, I viewed it not as essentially tier one, tier two. I viewed like Ethereum as like in this no man's land. But based on what we've seen the last week, um, I'm thinking Ethereum might have just <laughs> separated a bit from from typical altcoin conversations at the SEC. Love it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I know that you jumped off a meeting earlier that you could potentially get fired just for coming to talk to us. <laughs> no, 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 James. no. James, one day I'm going to send you like a old school Xbox and we're going to try to get them online and we're going to go head to head on I, some I, I have an Xbox 360, but it's had the ring of death for, for like nine years now. Oh, so yeah, it's, there's it's no still such in thing my... as a functioning Xbox 360, but <laughs> hey, we're, we're going to make it work, man. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the insight. Yep. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right, man. ETF mania. It's a rain in ETFs. That doesn't that didn't work particularly well. But imagine if we get like 18 ETF approvals on Halloween or some random. Uh, that would be absolutely insane. I do have a bunch more news, but I'm going to just go to Dan. We're going to talk first. We're going to look at the charts and then at the end. So I don't have to keep him waiting too long. I will go back through the rest of the news. There's a Michael Saylor video I want to show you because he's an epic giga mega chad of hugely proportions. Uh, the word is bigly, not hugely, right? Uh, but we will circle back to that because I do want to dive in with Dan as the market's open and uh, we get to take a look at what's happening here. How are you, man? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great. So uh, I know that you don't care about ETFs uh, or if they get approved. You're looking at the charts. But hey, I know you find it interesting. You always show up and watch in the wings, which I which I find awesome. Um what are you looking at, though, in the markets? I mean, do you think that any of this uh, fundamentally is going to matter? Or do you think that right now you can check the chart and kind of get an idea of what's happening? Yeah, that was great from James. Uh, I have I struggled to stay on top of it. There's so many you know headlines that keep coming out. Uh, but that was a nice, succinct summary. So I feel like I'm up to speed. Uh, spot ETFs would definitely matter, in my opinion. Um, I do believe that that would lead to some buying pressure, not only from the people that would respond to the headline initially, but then you know, the possibility that uh, buying of those ETFs helped support higher prices as well. So definitely worth paying attention to. But again, as always, as you mentioned, uh, the charts are where the most important information lies. And uh, right now, there's a couple similar patterns in Bitcoin that are shaping up to the previous consolidation that we had seen back in oh, May into June. And it's really a potential falling wedge pattern. So pulling up my screen here, uh, I'm watching something very similar where, you know, this right here, we had a, a sideways boring week and then we broke bear with zero follow through. And anytime I see a, a support or resistance break with zero follow through, I start keeping an eye out for a wedge and patterns are, are often, you know, little fractals within each other. And so we look back to, to when we bounced the last time around after weeks of consolidation and it was a pretty similar falling wedge where, Again, the, the characteristic of the falling wedge is that you break support straight into a bounce, you break support into a bounce, you break support into a bounce, and then we finally got that big move uh, off of those lows. And so here we have, again, you break support, not really a bounce, more just sideways, but this was more of a bounce. So again, just opening them up to the possibility of this being a falling wedge, because for me, on the weekly time frame, a higher low is the most likely scenario considering where we came from. And in an ideal world for the bulls, we hold this weekly EMA 12 to ensure that this consolidation retracement doesn't get too significant because if it gets more significant, then that opens the door for a lower high, whereas we want to see 
a higher low that leads to continuation. So uh, over the next week or two, going to continue watching this and knowing that the Bulls, you know, we need to show up pretty soon here. So uh, let's get to it. But uh, still the burden on Bulls at this point. Yeah, I like the wedge because, I mean, obviously you can also kind of draw it. Uh, the more, more bearish scenario, there's a four-hour just to look at it, but is that obviously it kind of broke support on this range. But that's always what happens as you get into a wedge. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, if you're a bull, you're cautious. Um, and that was the same as the last time around. It was definitely, this could be a bullish pattern. We're anticipating, you know, a higher low is the most likely scenario, but we have to be cautious. It's really tricky to trade these wedges because by definition, you take out support, you trigger the stop losses, and then you don't go anywhere. So for newer traders, they're extremely frustrating because, again, by definition, it's, you know, it, it hunts those stops and then uh, bounces right after, which is, you know, a newer trader's nightmare. Yeah. So listen, outside of Bitcoin, because we, we've beat it to death, I know you're watching SPY and QQQ and what's happening in the other markets, because we did have that downgrade yesterday, which was followed by then Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac or Freddie Mae and Fannie Mae, Mac, Mac, Miggity Miggity Mac Daddy. I don't know. Um, them being downgraded as well. So there's a real fundamental crack here in the economy. And I, I'm actually surprised that markets didn't react more dramatically to this because they have in the past, like in 2011. But, uh, you know, what are you watching there? Yeah, it's it was notable just in the sense that, you know, this is the first confirmed daily downtrend in QQQ in like three months. So whenever that happens, we want to say, OK, things are shifting because if we trade in you know a market environment that is characteristic of, of a strong uptrend, we have to recognize the shift in that. And so we don't keep trading the same way because we, we have to adjust our trading styles. And so with the loss of this uptrend uh, and the confirmed downtrend, that for me means you know, more open to bearish swing trades, more cautious as a bull and uh, open to the possibility that we, you know, see some weeks of consolidation here. And one thing that is something that I'm watching because I've been very interested in metals uh, recently, but the dollar and this this pertains to Bitcoin as well. I don't think enough uh, crypto traders are watching the dollar because there is a significant inverse correlation between Bitcoin and the dollar where, you know, just very simply, the dollar has been bouncing for three weeks and Bitcoin has been consolidating for three weeks. And you'll find that pattern, you know, very often. And the one thing to remember with correlations is uh, the strength of them. It's almost like a, a, a current in the ocean. It's, it's there, it shifts, but uh, sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's weaker, but it's always worth keeping an eye on. So, you know, if you're a Bitcoin bull or a gold bull, you really want to see the dollar top out here shortly. And this bounce is definitely a bit concerning because if we were to confirm a weekly uptrend as a result of this bounce, uh, that would be a notable shift in the dollar weakness into some you know, eventual dollar strength, which is not what the bulls want to see. So for you, that peak right there, I mean, it's like 104. Would it be this making a higher high there, whichever whichever way you draw it? You know what I mean? Uh, is that how you would kind of confirm? You talked about, obviously, a confirmed downtrend for QQQ. I think you were looking at that. I assume means because it made that lower low for the first time, right? Correct. So here, you DXY could still be bearish as long as it doesn't make a higher high. Yeah, and I look back to, you know, back here in February, it was a big bounce there as well. And the bulls had a chance to, you know, confirm a trend change off of that, and they were unable to do so. So, you know, we're still in a downtrend as far as anything. For me, under 103.54 would be a lower high. If we break that level, we're very likely to form a weekly higher low next consolidation. If we don't break that level, it's possible we drop to lower lows, but uh, it would be the kind of, you know, wait and see and observe over the next few weeks. And I think the dollar chart in August is going to be the weekly chart is going to be one of the more important charts to be watching 
uh, regarding all markets, again, metals, crypto, and, and even the stock market. Sounds to me like this is a scary time to take either side with any sort of conviction. I mean, that's kind of how I've been viewing it because like you have this sort of massive run. So you may be trying to catch the end of that if you're a bull, but if it's going to continue, you're going to end up shorting what's probably the consolidation for another leg up. So it's sort of the worst time to be in the market with any conviction if you're actually trying to aggressively trade it. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this is the bears getting their the most conviction as far as the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. The bears getting their most conviction that they've seen in the last couple of months. So there are definitely some traders that are now more aggressively going bearish. But as you mentioned, we know, you know, a shorter term time frame confirming a downtrend very often just leads to a longer term time frame, higher low. So I'm open to the potential that we eventually get some monthly consolidation. I mean, so many of these charts, whether it's NVIDIA or whatever, that's just been so strong all year, uh, we're going to have to see monthly consolidation eventually. But there's tons of space for a monthly higher low to be the result of that consolidation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So are you actively trading this right now? Or is this one of those like hands below, but sit on them for a while thing? I, I shorted yesterday. Uh, definitely, you know, having the narrative helps just psychologically. You think about the market and, you, you know, the market has over the past two months gotten trained to, to buy the dip and to be, you know, more and more people go into the bull side of the boat. And I never like when everybody's on one side of the boat because that's when the boat tips. But um, it's, you know, I was I was more open to going bearish because when you have that narrative, uh, it justifies the move. Whereas, you know, for most people, they see the market down 2%. And if it's a technical move with no fundamental reason, they're more, a lot more likely to buy that dip and be comfortable. And if yeah. there's a, oh, there's a headline, there's a reason I'm not going to buy this dip. So the bears can run with it a little bit more. So again, I am more open to bears. Just an example, you know, like this Netflix chart, just charts that have been running all year. And I look at the Netflix weekly time frame and say, yeah. well, if Netflix confirms this weekly downtrend, I mean, look at the long-term four-month chart. For me, the most likely scenario here. Well, that's a new arrow. Didn't yeah, you have you seen this new arrow thing? The arrow no. used to be. It's so annoying. The arrows used to be like with the brushes and the rectangles and stuff, and now the arrows have their own thing over there. Yeah, that's new for me. Oh, so <laughs> Anyways, I mean, uh, from, love it. So we can do that big arrow. I don't know why I want that, but hey, whatever. For me, the most likely scenario is a longer term, lower high, just because of the size of the dump. And granted, it's a big old bounce on Netflix. And this is just one example. You know, Meta, there's a lot of these charts and nice sell on Meta, by the way. But uh, a four month lower high is a possibility for a tightening range. Whenever we see massive volatility in both directions, I look for equilibriums and tightening ranges because you go from volatility to tightening ranges so often in markets and so i'm watching for it on the longer term time frames yeah i mean i'm as you're talking i'm just clicking through the few sort of uh stock charts that i have up here uh F spx bearish divergence massively overbought qqq bearish divergence massively overbought meta was the one i can see now it's getting bearish divergence while it's massively overbought this looks across the board like it's very due for a correction to me yeah, it's just a question of how much. We'll watch the retracement size. We'll watch the amount of volume behind it. One thing for me, as I mentioned in a previous stream, is do we see all major sectors with QQQ, XLF Financials, XLV Healthcare, do they all drop to the lows at the same time, which show me money leaving the market as opposed to rotation? Because even yesterday, the big red day, you know, healthcare was still a little bit green and flat most of the day. It wasn't selling off. So I'm watching to see, you know, bears will gain confidence if we see all major sectors dropping together. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, joining and for your time and, and uh, insight every week. I'm going to be gone next week, so I'll see you in two weeks.
Me too. It works out perfect. So yeah, That's two weeks. Right. Perfect. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Thank you, Dan. And everybody follow the chart guys, of course. Thanks a lot, Scott. Yeah, guys, like I said, we do have a bit more news that I wanted to get through, and I didn't want to make uh, Dan sit through it for, for, for too long there. Always appreciate his insight, and it was great to have James there at the beginning. So what we're looking at here, obviously, Bitcoin whale Michael Saylor might buy a lot more BTC. Well, first of all, he did just buy a lot more BTC. I don't have the numbers here right in front of me, but he did. He actually raised his cost basis once again. I think they bought around 30800 this time. Once again, a local top, but who cares? But they're planning to sell up to $750 million of stock to buy more Bitcoin. He didn't say exactly to buy more Bitcoin. We're kind of jumping to conclusions, said, you know, buy things they need for the business, blah, blah, blah. But he means buy more Bitcoin. Incredible that he's willing to sell more stock to do that. But MicroStrategy has been wildly outperforming even Bitcoin, I think, this year. Right. I mean, let's look at the 2023 low 132. It's currently at 397, topped at 475. I mean, we're talking about three and a half times up from the bottom. Bitcoin didn't even 2x. So if you've been looking for a way to effectively trade Bitcoin with leverage, MicroStrategy has been a huge way to do it. Sell off 750 million more here. Flip it into Bitcoin suite. Let's see what Michael Saylor had to say himself on video about buying more Bitcoin. Have you with us? If I look at MicroStrategy's total Bitcoin holdings right now, uh, currently stands at nearly 153,000 Bitcoin. Nearly 500 of that came just since June 30th. When you think about the Bitcoin acquiring strategy, what might that number total in the quarters to come? Well, our, our goal is to accumulate as much Bitcoin as we can on behalf of our shareholders. And, um, you know, we acquired from cash flows. Uh, we bought, uh, we bought uh, that last tranche with $14.4 million worth of company cash. We also use uh, equity and debt issuances from time to time. So uh, we, we try to make sure that everything we do is always accretive. So we will acquire as much Bitcoin as we can, as long as market conditions allow us to do it in a creative way for our common stock shareholders. Well, it was interesting that we also saw an 8K come out after the earnings report yesterday, uh, which seems like a way to really tap into the rally that we've seen in the shares so far this year. I believe MicroStrategy up over 200%. What's the plan there? What will you use that theoretically for if you do sell shares? Uh, our primary use of uh, proceeds generally is just to acquire Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is up 145% since August 10th of 2023 years ago when we started on the strategy. And we've pursued a strategy of, of levered Bitcoin investments. So we use cheap capital. Our average cost of capital is like 1.6% or something in that range. And the combination of leverage and then, and then offering our shareholders a yield, we don't charge them a fee to manage this Bitcoin. We actually uh, aim to generate a yield. That's allowed us to actually generate 254% performance in the same time that Bitcoin was up 145%. So our strategy is sort of levered long, offer a yield, don't charge a fee, and then actively manage our position and actively manage acquisitions and financings between equity, debt, and, uh, and cash flows in order to get the best result for our shareholders. 
I love this guy. Actively manage usually in the trad five world means buy, sell, short, hedge. For him, actively manage means sell other shit so I can buy as much Bitcoin as possible that I'm never going to sell. That's what I call active management. That's what I call being an absolute giga chad. I love this guy. You should love this guy. He's doing it for the culture. And by culture, I mean clout, shareholders, and Bitcoiners worldwide. I mean, how can you not love it? People can say whatever they want about it. It's working. Their stock is massively up. It's just amazing. And you want to see someone who you also love just as much as MicroStrategy appear on your screen right now? Here it is. Oh, no. It's Elizabeth Warren. She wants a demanding a crackdown on the crypto tax evaders because everybody made so much fucking money in crypto last year, you hag. Nobody made any money in crypto last year. This is a joke. We all know that we're all having fun staying poor. Nobody took any profits. Everything's going to zero. We're not making any money. But she said the IRS and the Treasury are coming up against a deadline and Democrats have little patience left. Now, to be fair, she is just asking for a rule, uh, a law, basically or a ruling that was enacted two years ago to be put into practice. To be put into practice. So nearly two years have passed since the law was enacted, and that's the one that's going to close tax loopholes for rich crypto investors. They probably lost other money on Celsius or Voyager or BlockFi anyways. But nearly two years have passed since the law was enacted, and the implementation deadline is less than six months away, but Treasury has yet to publish proposed rules. Funny that she's putting pressure on Janet Yellen, a.k.a. Lloyd Christmas with the sweet haircut, to go all in against crypto here. And Janet has bigger problems like... The United States being downgraded by Fitches. I don't think that they care much about crypto at the moment, but research suggests that crypto tax evaders are cheating the IRS out of at least $50 billion a year. The figure may be much higher. Could be like $50 trillion for all we know. It could be $70 trillion, gajillion, bajillion if we don't do our research. No, the research says it was $50 billion, and that's based on research in years where people actually made money. But guess what, guys? Most people are just paying their taxes, and she can shut the front door. U.S. prosecutors worry Binance charges could cause run-on exchanges. Interesting, this is coming from Semaphore, a very reliable news source that is literally partially owned by Sam Bankman-Fried. Just saying. Just saying. But anyways, this is a very strange story. I've asked kind of a few lawyers about it. DOJ apparently would like to charge Binance, according to this, with fraud and other things, but they're worried that it could cause a bank run on Binance. The SEC never worried about hurting retail with their cases, I'll tell you that. All they did was just passively name a bunch of altcoin securities so that those would crash and kill retail because the SEC and Gary Gensler have done more to hurt retail crypto investors than literally any of these actual scammers, criminals, or negligent dictards. But... There's some things to parse here. So first of all, I don't think the DOJ does not bring charges on someone because they're worried about this, right? So I think that this is probably pushing towards fake news-ish. But interesting, if, if true, that they would be concerned about that. B, you don't worry about a bank run unless you're actually worried that a platform is insolvent. Because if there was a bank run on something that's fully backed, you don't even worry about it. This story just reeks of fake news. I don't know. None of it's making much sense. So it is what it is. And then finally, guys, Litecoin plunges 6% to freshly monthly lows on having day. Yes, the Litecoin having, the third Litecoin having happened yesterday to much fanfare. 17 people partied. Charlie Lee sold the top years ago. Probably doesn't care that much. No, Charlie's awesome. I played poker with Charlie. He won. Um, but yeah, it went down. 
right? Had a run and then it dropped, but that's what happens. Here's the weekly candle right here. Litecoin's still looking pretty good, putting in a series of higher lows here uh, and higher highs. But yeah, guys, we all know that the having is a sell the news type of event the day it happens because it takes time for the supply reduction to actually matter. I wrote about this in my newsletter this morning. I never even talked to you guys about my newsletter, literally like, guys, no, I write a free newsletter. I get up at four o'clock in the morning to write this five days a week, like literally every single weekday. And now I'll say that and I'll probably take a week off for like the first time on the newsletter next week. But yeah, I mean, I wrote a whole, like I did a whole thing, the other having, and I wrote about it. We've got meld in there. They're up there in the corner. Also, you can check that out. But yeah, I wrote all about what this means and how there's actually been real adoption of Litecoin over the years and how it continues to just sort of chug along and be relevant. Yeah. See guys, I talk about other things and I think it's cool. I think it's cool, but we all know that, you know, if you look at having cycle charts, it takes a couple months for it to really matter for that supply to go down. That is what it is. So guys, check out Meld, by the way. But 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 more separately, got 25 minutes till Twitter spaces. Apparently, today's Twitter spaces. I'm gonna share this chat. I shouldn't. I shouldn't, because I'm I'm being mean. But um they, it's about NFTs and the future of NFTs. And I love to mock, I, I actually think NFTs are cool, but I do love to mock them just sort of sarcastically. And they're like, what should the title of today's spaces be? I can't tell you the actual words, but I wrote in all caps and I, it was while I was talking to Dan, to be honest. I said, NFTs are fucking stupid. We are talking to the dumbasses. But it's, uh, that's not really how I feel. It was just a joke in a chat. But we are doing a bunch of apparently huge NFTers. They sent me this list to show you how out of touch I am. They're like, these are the people that are joining. They're huge NFTers. I've literally never seen any of them. So I'm actually going in with an open mind as usual. I'm going to listen and see why NFTs could possibly come back. Um, maybe I will watch from my house in the sandbox metaverse next to Snoop's that I bought for $4 million. I'm just kidding. I never bought land in the metaverse. I told you that shit was stupid. You know, if you buy land in the metaverse, they can just open a different metaverse and make more, more land. Not the same as land here. But anyways, guys, you should show, show, you should show up because I, you guys, listen, I make my jokes, but I think I have proven, especially this week, that I'm very open-minded and will listen to anyone make their points. I enjoyed Gary and Brandon yesterday. I just didn't get the answers I wanted. Doesn't mean I won't continue to seek them. A lot of what they said was true, but they were sort of making the case against proof of stake and for proof of work if I was actually listening to it uh, genuinely and that we probably have problems with a lot of uh, different platforms and not just there. Michael says, if you want crypto to flourish, you need to elect RFK or Vivek and not another dinosaur. If we want anything to flourish, we need to vote for someone young, by the way. I love that now uh, RFK, who I like a lot, you guys know that I interviewed him two weeks ago, a week ago, a week ago. Anyways, uh, he's the gold standard for youth at 70. <laughs> I think he's 69 years old. Not a young man. But uh, Suarez also is pro-Bitcoin. I think Vivek uh, hasn't figured it out yet. His uh, comments at the Miami Bitcoin conference seemed like he was doing the DeSantis thing where he was just sort of using it as a talking point and didn't really understand it. But I don't hold people accountable for that. It means they're willing to learn. That's a good thing. It's the biggest problem that Bitcoin maxis have, right? They'll be like, this guy doesn't stand to fuck this guy. You're like, dude, welcome him. He's trying to help, you know? Anyways, those, that's all I've got. I'm going to go talk about JPEGs. You guys are more than uh, welcome to join. More than welcome to join. 
That's all I got for you guys. I will see you on the morrow in a fortnight on Hitherith Veneth. See you guys tomorrow. Peace. That's dope.